Amen. Amen. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing in our, our series in Ephesians. You need your scripture journal, and so if you don't have that, please raise your hand and we will give one to you. So raise your hand if you don't have a scripture journal right here. It's our gift to you. We want to give you one. Uh, you need it so that you can write things down, so that you can engage with the scriptures. I cannot say this enough, right? Man shall not live by sermons alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, The Lord wants to teach you through the word. He wants to teach you by yourself. He wants to teach you when you're with friends or family. Uh, Please do not live off sermons as much as I I love this, and I think it's very important. Uh, Remember, I always tell you that sermons are the cherry on top, and the Lord gives you the ice cream himself, you know, through your time with him in the word, all right? So uh, I want you to be growing every day of the week, not just on Sunday, and so you need to be in the word of God. You say, I don't know how to do that. Okay, great. We want to help you take this and just start writing things down, okay? Uh, Ask a friend, ask a pastor. We'd We'd be glad to help you learn more about what that looks like to study God's word, but this is our resource to you to take notes, to look at it during the week, to write in it, to mark it up, to ask questions, all those wonderful things, all right? Uh, So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. So go ahead and open your Bible. All right. Remember, uh, Paul is helping the church at Ephesus mature in their understanding of who God is, what God does, and who they are and what they are supposed to do. These are the essential things that's happening. Who's God? What does God do? Okay. Who are you? What are you supposed to do? These are the most important questions a human being could ever ask. Now, I want to ask you real quick, has anyone ever told you about something that you're dreaming about? They say, hey, that's just wishful thinking. That's just wishful thinking. You say, man, I love, one day I'm going to be this rich. You say, that's just wishful thinking, you know, or a little kid, one day I'm going to play in the NBA. And you're like, you're like, yeah, baby, you can be all you can want to be. But in their heart, you're thinking, I ain't no chance that's happening. That's just wishful thinking. Uh, how many of you daydream throughout the day about things you would hope your life would turn out or into, but it's really a daydream, and in your heart of hearts, you know, man, that'll never happen. So I sit here, and I think about it. I dream about it, but it's really just wishful thinking. Uh, how many of you in the room would like more money? And, oh, okay, bunch of liars. Raise your hand. <laughs> Christians don't care about money. Of course you do. Raise your hand. Ridiculous. Come on. How many of you would like more power or control over your life? Yeah, everybody, everybody. Okay. This is what I want to help you understand this morning. All right. Instead of putting your whole life and your hopes in life, and even on things like riches and power, on wishful thinking, God wants to give you a sure thing. Most of us live our lives daydreaming about wishful thinking, but God wants to give you a sure thing. God wants to fill your heart with real hope this morning. And here's something, I'm going to explain it more thoroughly later. But I hope that you leave today more hopeful, more wealthy, and more powerful than you could ever imagine. And I want you to see this from God's eyes, from the lens of God's eyes. What does this mean for you to leave the teaching of the word of God more hopeful, more wealthy, and more powerful than you could ever imagine? What if, what if all the things that are wishful thinking to you could actually be realized in a more sure thing in Jesus? What if all the things you would hope to accomplish in your life to have enough money, success, and power are actually small things compared to the sure thing you could have in Jesus? What if all the things that you are wishfully thinking about, what if they were all to come true, but they wouldn't come close to the sure thing you could have in Jesus? What if you're wasting much of your life in wishful thinking about things that would never provide for you what the sure thing gives you in Jesus? 
This is what I want to help you understand this morning and to move your life from wishful thinking to the sure thing. Because the sure thing is even better than anything you could wishfully think about. So look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurably greatness, immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We'll stop there for today. And just as a reminder, uh, I can't possibly cover everything here. It's so deep and wonderful. So please, please, please go pursue that on your own as well. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful things here. So the reality of this passage is this phrase in the middle, that you may know, is basically the hinge of the passage that opens the door to the hope that we're all supposed to walk into today. It's the hinge of that you may know. That I may know what? That you may know the sure thing, which is the hope to which you have been called to. Now, this is my, my hope this morning is we use that as the hinge of the door so that you can step into, walk through the door that's been opened to the hope on the other side to which God has called you, that you actually enter into the room, that you live in the hope that God has called you to, that you experience the reality of what it is, not just intellectually, but in everything in your body and everything in your heart, with everything in your experience in life, my goal for every single one of us is to basically use the hinge of this scripture to open the door to walk into the room of hope this morning that we would actually experience the hope and the sure thing God wants to have for us. This is, this is how this passage works. It sets it up and then the hinge that you may know swings the door wide open and then you walk into the things you ought to know. And so really there are two realities we need to work with, therefore, that the passage kind of helps us understand is the first, well, how do we know? How do we know? How, how, what's, the, what's the way by which I learn about these things? And then what do I need to know? And these are the two things in your whole life, really. How do I know what I'm supposed to know? And, and what do I need to know? And here's something for you to understand. It's like inception, all right? But just follow this for a second. You can't know what to know until you know how to know. You're like, what? Okay, yeah. I'm saying it. You can't know what to know until you know how to know. And you spend so much of your life focused on what to know that you never considered how you're learning it or where you're supposed to go so that you can actually know what you're supposed to know. You should already be thinking in your mind, how do I actually gain knowledge? Well, I listen to podcasts and YouTube influencers, okay? Well, I'm not sure how great you should feel about your life then at that point. That's, that's your source? What, how do you gain knowledge? Just what I want to help you understand this morning first is how, how do we know? So this is the passage, the first half of the passage. How do you know? How do you know what you need to know? That's the first half. Second half of the passage, well, what do you need to know? So that's how we're going to do it this morning. So the first, how do I know things? And most importantly, how do I know 
sure things, okay? This is what I want to know, right? I don't want to know things that will just change and go away. I don't want to do wishful thinking. I would like to know the things that matter most. I would like to know something sure that once I know it, it never changes. Those are the kind of things I want to know. I think those are the kind of things you want to know. But how often do we settle for learning about things that always change? And we put so much effort into knowledge that isn't sure. We put so much effort into knowing things that don't matter. And now we need to put our effort into knowing something that does matter. So how do we know? Okay, the first thing is this. Knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit, right? How do I know? What, how, what does the Bible teach me about how to know things? And how do I know the things I ought to know? Well, first, knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit. So look at this. That the God, verse 17, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and then he says, may give you a spirit of wisdom. So this is the source. Knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit. So God has to give it. This is the first premise of, of knowledge. God has, knowledge has to come from God for it to be a sure thing. It has to come from God, and God teaches us through the Holy Spirit, which I'll touch based on in a second. But first, I want you to consider what your source of knowledge is. Where do you get most of your learning from? Who do you consult for the things you ought to know? Who do you listen to the most? What is your source? And, and listen to me, this is important, because maybe for some of you might be skeptical, or you say, well, I don't really believe in God yet, so I want you to think through a second. Okay, well then, who are you relying on to learn things about things that can't be measured? So no amount of science could ever teach you what the purpose of life is. I mean, you just can't get there. You can't study enough. You can't do enough biology. You can't understand how things work enough to answer the question, what is the purpose of life? Where are you going to learn that from? From human beings who are living right now at the same time as you are? You think they have discovered the purpose of life? You think our generation suddenly has understood the essence of what real life is and the previous generations were stupid? I mean, how prideful of you to think we figured it out now. I'm going to listen to what everybody around me says about how to live my life. That's ridiculous if you think about it and prideful to think, well, the people back then really screwed it up. But me now, enlightened, smart. I have an iPhone with Google. I know everything, you know. We're really all just a bunch of teenagers, really, you know. We think we know more than we know. And we live our life according to this pride. I want you to think about that. What, okay, what amount of scientific research can ever tell you what happens after you die? Which is very important. Right? I mean, you might not think about it too much because you're trying to avoid that, but that's something you ought to want to know. You should at least try to find out. Like, I'm going to die one day. What happens after that? What if it's a big deal? What if it's a really big deal? What if it's a bigger deal than my life here? I would at least want to know who's going to tell you that. Somebody that's alive? How are they going to tell you that, you know? Where are you going to get that knowledge from? A book written by somebody while they were alive to tell you what happens after you die? Excluding the Bible, okay? I'm talking about other books, okay? The Bible does tell us that special book. All other books, they're not helpful in that way, okay? Let me just clarify. Before somebody takes a clip of the message, it's like, hey, hey, we do have a book that tells you what happens after death. We do, obviously. Okay, great. Just clarify that there. All right, what's going to tell you about the meaning of life? You know, what, what form of, what source of knowledge is going to tell you about what behavior is appropriate or not? Because just so you're clear, everybody redecides these things every 10 years. 
don't, I just don't, don't, don't be fooled. What's acceptable now will not be in 10 years. And what's not acceptable now will all of a sudden become acceptable. And everything will flip-flop all the time. So you're going to say, well, we figured it out now. We know how to accept one another and really, you really, really, you think all of a sudden, now this generation has morality figured out. Once again, are you really want to say that out loud? Say all these people before, we're stupid. But we got it. We got it. We know how to treat one another with acceptance and inclusion. And that just accept everybody according to whatever they want to do. Yeah, until they offend you. Or until their truth comes in contact with your truth and they're opposing one another. Then what? You see how this doesn't make sense? It's okay. I can learn a lot of things about the world. But what I cannot learn from any other source are the most important things about the world. Like purpose, meaning, and morality. Okay, so, okay, I can learn all these stats about all these things, and I can learn how things work, and there's documentaries and, and YouTube shows about DIY, how to do things. I can learn a lot of things about how to manipulate the world around me and how to understand some things in the world around me, but what source is going to tell me the most important things? I want you to realize for a second how much you might be missing, especially so those of you who are here, you say you're listening or you're, you're outside of Christ, you don't believe in God yet, and I'm so glad that you're here. We love you and I want you to understand, but I want you to see what you're missing. I want you to, I want you to come to terms with your source of knowledge and whether it's really actually helpful to you or not. It's not answering the most important questions of life, so I don't think it's really all that helpful to you. So knowledge comes from God. As a matter of fact, real knowledge has to come from God. Otherwise, it can't be real knowledge because it certainly can't come from me or you because we're temporary, finite, small human beings. So knowledge comes from God. That's first and foremost. So what we ought to be pursuing the most is the thing God knows. You see what I'm saying now? Okay, so what I know, not that helpful. What you know, not that helpful. What the world around me knows, not that helpful. You can't tell me about purpose, what happens after I die, meaning, morality, can't answer those questions. So what, I need to know what God knows. If I'm going to actually live my life according to a sure thing. If I don't know what God knows, then I'm just wishful thinking. But if I know what God knows, I actually have a sure thing. Where do I learn what God knows? In the Bible. This is where God has shown us what he knows. Amongst, I mean, he knows everything. So this is only a part of it. But this is where we learn how God thinks and how God operates. So therefore, the thing we ought to be pursuing the most is the things that God knows, which we ought to give our lives to as a people. And so I want to whet your appetite for some of you that don't know God yet to say, you want to know the things God knows. This is a good thing. And for those of us who do know God to say, you ought to be growing in the thing God knows. The most important thing you can keep learning are the things that God knows. You know? I want you to like go to your Bible and say, I want to know what God knows because this is going to be really great for me as opposed to like, oh, I have to read my Bible to be a good Christian. You want to know what God knows. And let me tell you, you listen to enough podcasts and you watch enough YouTube videos and you find ways to learn things. None of you are opposed to learning. And so it's just a matter of what's important to you. And I want to put in front of you that I want you to know the things that are most important to know, which you can only know from God. So we got to get in God's word so we can know the things that are most important to know. All right. Stop giving your life to things that aren't important to know. And start giving your life to the things that matter most. All right. So knowledge comes from God. It's mediated through the Holy Spirit. Just a little caveat there is 
uh, the, basically all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches us that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding into spiritual things, things that we cannot discern for ourselves. This was true also about a prophesy, uh, prophecy over Jesus. Isaiah 11.2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's Isaiah 11.2. I'm going to fly through this. Jesus taught us in John 16.13 that the Spirit would guide us into all truth. Jesus taught us in John 14.26 that the Spirit would teach us all things. Okay, so knowledge from God is mediated through the Holy Spirit, who's also God, through the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we ought to be connected to and walking in the Spirit for us to learn. All right, which means if I can quench the Spirit through my disobedience, then I can quench my understanding and lack of ability to grow in knowledge. And if I can't grow in knowledge, I can't actually make the right decisions so that I can continue to walk in the Spirit. And if I don't walk in the spirit, then I'll continue to decrease in knowledge. So this works. The, the knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit, which means you really got to understand who the spirit is, what he does. As we said before, the spirit's main job is to bear witness to Jesus. John 16, at the end of John 16, he says, the spirit's job is to bear witness to Jesus. So now, basically all real knowledge is unto the revelation of Jesus, which means the greater I understand who Jesus is, the more mature in knowledge I, I become. The greatest form of knowledge is the knowledge of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing you could ever learn. And the Spirit's job is to help take you deeper into the things of Jesus Christ. And all knowledge is unto this point. So we talked about last week. Everything in heaven on earth is coming to the center point of Jesus Christ. All things are unto that. So is knowledge. And so the greater forms of knowledge are the ones that teach me more about who Christ is and what his purpose is for life. Check James chapter three, verse 17 about wisdom, how wisdom comes from above. It's pure, it's good, but wisdom that comes from below is defiled and troubled. And the question that you just have to ask now is, is my source of knowledge from below? Is it earthly? Or is my source of knowledge from above? Is it heavenly? And my source of knowledge determines my life. If I live according to heavenly knowledge, I live heavenly things. If I live according to earthly knowledge, I live earthly things. All right, so knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit. The second thing, therefore, is prayer and thanksgiving lead to greater understanding. So if knowledge comes from God through the Holy Spirit, uh, then prayer and thanksgiving lead to greater understanding. Because if knowledge comes from God, then talking to God seems like the best place to learn. And the best place to help others learn. So this is, look at chapter one, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Why? Why is he praying? Well, because only, only God can give knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? It comes from God. How do I connect with God? I connect with God through prayer. And so prayer becomes not only a time for me to ask God for things I might need in life, basic things, but to also grow in my understanding of who God is. I also want to point out here how prayer in the Bible is consistently connected to thanksgiving. So thanksgiving and prayer always work together. And here's how I want you to think about it. Prayers are opportunities for future thanksgivings. Prayers are opportunities for future thanksgivings. Think about this way as well. Thanksgiving looks back in praise, but prayer looks, uh, and thanksgiving looks back in praise and thanksgiving looks ahead in prayer. So how do I foster a spirit of thanksgiving? I praise God for what he's done before and I pray for what he will do ahead in a spirit of thanksgiving. So prayer and thanksgiving lead to greater understanding. If I'm going to grow in the things I will need to know most, then my access point to that is prayer. And the main form of prayer ought to be thanksgiving. 
When I act and do these things in my daily life, I will grow in knowledge of the real things, the most important things. And the more I understand the real things in life, the more I will actually place my life on them. You see, I want you to see how this practically begins. We're going to begin to shift in a minute from like what's up here to what's your life. Because you put your life on things you trust and you trust things that you know. Right? Your whole life is decided on these things. I, I live according to the things I understand. And so there are certain people I trust and there are certain realities of the world I trust. I don't jump off this thing because gravity, I understand how gravity works. So I make a decision about where to step based off my knowledge of gravity. I make a decision about who to trust based off my knowledge and experience with them. And so this is with God. And some of us aren't living in trust with God because we're not growing in knowledge of God. So you can't step into that place because you don't know. You don't know actually how God's going to work. You haven't grown in knowledge of God. And so this is going to be important for us. So prayer and thanksgiving lead to greater understanding. Now, I also want you to notice, look here, he says, he says, verse uh, 17, I pray the Lord, the God of glory will give you the spirit of wisdom. Now, if you look back before in chapter 13, he thanks God that he has already given them the Holy Spirit. So just a few verses before he says, you've already got the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses later, he says, I pray that God would give you the Holy Spirit to a group of people that God has already given the Holy Spirit. Why would he do that? Is he contradicting himself? Did he forget what he just said? Like, is he just rambling on? You know, like, not, what is he doing? No, no, no. Here's what you need to understand about prayer. Okay, the spiritual blessings, this is talking about in chapter 3 in the heavenly places which are solidified by the Holy Spirit, all the blessings of what God has bought for you in Jesus are yours, but they're taken a hold of by prayer. So they're already mine, but I, I grab them, I hug them, I unite with them by prayer. They become more experientially mine by prayer. They become more realized in my life by prayer. So hey, you already have the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. And I pray, I pray that the Lord would give you the Holy Spirit that you would grow in knowledge of God. So prayer is taking hold of the things already bought for you by Jesus. Which is why, once again, why do I pray for peace? Not because I don't have it and not because Jesus hasn't already bought it, but so that I could take a hold of it in my life. This is true about everything that you pray for. To say God has provided in Christ these realities, but prayer takes them from heaven and shoves them right into your daily life. And if you don't pray, these wonderful truths about your life will just be abstract realities that aren't connected to the reality that you live in every day. And then they won't help you. So prayer takes these things that are already true about you. I pray, you know, you already have the Holy Spirit and I pray that the Holy Spirit will be given to you. Prayer takes these things whoo, and shoves them right down into your daily life. It makes them real and it helps you realize and actualize them in your life. So another form of growing in knowledge is prayer. Prayer that prioritizes thanksgiving. Okay, the last thing about knowledge and how to know is this. Real knowledge is about transformation, not information. Okay, Real knowledge transforms. It doesn't just inform. And think about this one too. If your source of knowledge primarily gives you information, then it's not real knowledge because real knowledge leads to transformation. Okay? There's a ton of knowledge you can grow in that informs, but there's only a special kind of knowledge that transforms. 
And now do the math in your life. How much effort do you give to the knowledge that informs, but how little effort do you give to the knowledge that transforms? Real knowledge transforms. It's about transformation, not information. So here in verse 18, this word, it says having, uh, verse 17, sorry, revelation, give you spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. All right, this word right here in the Greek is epigenose, okay? Once again, we're doing this, all right? Just so you can remember it because it sounds funny to you. Epigenose, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say epigenose, okay? Epigenose, okay. Once again, to all my Greek scholars, if I said that wrong, my bad. Okay, so epigenose. All right, this word for knowledge is a, is a wonderful word for knowledge that has a really full meaning to it. It basically means like a mature, a full, and expanded knowledge. So what he's praying for is that they would grow and they would have a mature knowledge, a progressively expanding knowledge, a growing up knowledge of who God is, and that this mature knowledge would lead towards mature decision-making because I am growing in this. So this is the same word, just write these texts down. Colossians 1.9 and Philippians 1.9, Paul uses the same word and they're both in the same context and they both start the, start the books. So in the first chapter of all three of these books, Paul uses this same word for knowledge in Colossians 1.9, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding. Philippians 1.9, that their love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. So real knowledge is about transformation. Real knowledge is about maturity. And here, get this, listen to me. If you're not maturing, then you're not growing in the real knowledge of God. It is an undeniable reality, even if it's slow, and even if it's little by little, that the real knowledge of God will mature your life. And if you're not maturing in your decision-making in your life, it's because you're not maturing in the knowledge of God. So this has practical ramifications for us. Real knowledge is about transformation, not information. How much of your life do you give to being informed? How much of your life do you give to being transformed? It's all about your source. Now look, he, play, he prays for what? Wisdom and revelation. And these two words, wisdom and revelation, are important. So the Father of the glory may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, write this down. Wisdom is truth applied. Revelation is truth revealed. Okay, so the Spirit reveals truth, and then the Spirit applies the truth in our lives. The prayer is that holistic transformation would take place, that you wouldn't just be informed by the revelation of the truth, but that you would be transformed by the application of the truth. That the knowledge of God wouldn't be abstract, but it would be substantive. That it would change your life. That it would create real transformation. And so as he's going to talk about these things, you know, may the truth of your hope in Christ be revealed, but also applied. And some of you, you have the truth of the hope revealed, but you don't have it applied. Because you still spend most of your time thinking about how sad your life is. And so you're not applying it. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying this is what God has asked us. This is why you got to pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the spirit would reveal the truth, my hope in Jesus, and that the spirit would apply the truth so that I can live with hope every day. And some of us have truth revealed, but we don't have truth applied so that we don't have life changed. You need your truth to be revealed and you need the truth to be applied the truth about what Christ has done for us revealed and the truth about who Christ is for us right now applied. 
the truth about who I am in Christ revealed, and then the truth about who I am in Christ applied. How many of you know through Christ you are a child of God, but that does not affect your day-to-day navigation of life? That's the whole point, is that the Lord would reveal the truth and then apply it in your life. And obviously, as we talked about, God works and you work. You must join him in this. So you can't say, Holy Spirit, apply this and then just go live however you want to live. It doesn't work like that. But if you say, Holy Spirit, please do this, and then you make your decisions to go engage with the will of God, then the Lord will do this. So wisdom is truth applied. Revelation is truth revealed. How many of you are living with truth revealed but not truth applied? If you only have truth revealed, then you don't have a life changed, all right? So this is what, the weird, this is what he's asking for in their lives, all right? It's important for us to understand. Finally, I just want you to understand about this word revelation. Revelation does not mean new knowledge because that's what I already have here. It gets dangerous when you start saying that. Revelation means knowledge illuminated or confirmed through conviction and understanding. So I came to you and I said, I have new knowledge. I have a revelation. This is like Joseph Mormon or people like that. To say, I have a revelation from God. An angel came and spoke to me. Whatever, you should be super suspicious. But if I come to you and I say, I have a revelation. Yo, look at Ephesians chapter one. Then you say, oh, okay, I'm in. All right, that's what it says. Revelation is an illumination of something God has already said. And if somebody comes to you and says, I have a word from God and they don't open chapter verse, you ought to not listen to them. Okay? Nobody should come up to you and say, I have new knowledge. No, no, no. I have learned something. It's new to me, maybe, but it's not new. It's not new. A lot of things are new to me, but I'm not the center of the universe, so it's not new knowledge. It's new to me, but... So revelation is about illumination, right? And you need to understand this in the world of religion, as all these different people grow in the history of different prophets coming and saying things, and whole religions being created out of one man having a revelation, supposedly... Okay, that happens because it's not according to the word of God. Therefore, you can just dismiss all of that as false. Uh, Why would you ever want to trust one man who said he saw an angel? I don't don't understand. I like to trust a man who died and rose again. How about that? That's where I'm going to put my trust. You can trust some crazy guy who had a vision. I'm going to trust the risen God. So stop putting your trust in all these crazy places and put your trust in the risen Jesus Christ, all right? That's how we see this and what we're about to talk about. So, all right, so that's how to know, okay? You can't know what to know until you know how to know. So this is how you know. All right. And you need to test how you know and how you're learning things and what your source of knowledge is. Uh, And I want you to see for some of you maybe how empty and and useless the source of knowledge that you're getting now is. And I want you to receive the source of knowledge, the wisdom revelation from Jesus Christ. So now what to know, what to know. There are three things he wants you to know. Very simple. The three things are this, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What did I say? I want you to leave more hopeful, more wealthy, and more powerful than when you came in. Okay? But what this is not is the prosperity gospel, health, wealth, and wealth. That doesn't mean you're going to leave with a Ferrari and become president of the United States. All right? That's not what I mean. But what I want to do, was the truth revealed, truth applied. What I want to do is have you leave from here and say, whoa, I have the riches of God's glorious inheritance. I have the riches. I, the immeasurable greatness of God's power lives in me. I could not possibly be more rich and more powerful than I am right now in Christ. And if you live with that mindset, how much does it relieve from you to go and like pursuing these things 
as goals in and of themselves. It's okay to be rich. It's okay to have power. Those things aren't inherently bad, but to pursue them as goals in life or to make your whole life about those things, then you become trapped and anxious and struggling. You know, that's where your life begins to deteriorate as opposed to thinking, hey, okay, I have all these things I already need in Christ. All right. And therefore I can live free and I can be generous with the things that I have and I can live in humility. And even if I have authority and power and all these things don't begin to have a hold on me. All right. So this makes a difference to you. I want you to notice first that look what he says. Okay. It says, what is the hope to which he has called you? The riches of his glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power. So first of all, who are these things? They're God's things. Hope is God's thing. Riches and wealth are God's thing and power is God's thing. He owns all of that, okay? All of it. And the Bible would even make clear, even the earthly wealth people have, God is sorting out, you know? You don't get rich unless God allows it. It's his money. You don't get power unless God allows it. It's his power. It's his authority on earth. And so all these things belong to God. Now look, his hope to which he has called you his glorious inheritance in the saints, in you, and his great power toward us who believe. So all things that God has, they're his, now become mine in Christ. Truth revealed and truth applied. These things are mine. And so now my eyes begin open to the reality, the real reality of the world, that all of these things are mine in Jesus Christ. What's his is mine because now he is mine through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember also, this goes back to the source, right? Does your source, is your source of life able to give you these things? For sure, as a sure thing. Is your source of life able to give you hope? Is your source of life able to give you riches forever? Is your source of life able to give you immeasurable, unstoppable power? Is your source of life able to provide these things for you? And if not, I would just present to you a different option of a real source of life that could give you everything as a sure thing instead of you living by wishful thinking. This is a real thing, more hopeful, more wealthy, more powerful than you ever had imagined in Christ and in his glorious inheritance forever. So these things are yours. Write this down. First Corinthians 3.21 says the same idea. All things are yours. So they're bickering and arguing and whatever. And Paul's just looking at them like, hey, everything is yours. What a wonderful way to stop being jealous or to stop being greedy. Say, everything's mine already. What am I greedy for? Everything is mine already. Why am I jealous of you? It's all mine. You see truth revealed and truth applied. You say, okay, in Christ, I have all that I need. Blah, 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 blah. You don't think about it. But then you apply it to your life and say, if I have everything in Christ, why would I be jealous of what you have? If I have everything in Christ, why would I be greedy for more and more? If I have everything in Christ, why would I be discontent about what I don't have? You see truth revealed, but truth applied. You have to live according to these things. This is what God wants for you, that, that through the prayer, what Paul's praying, that you would know how to know and then that you would know what you're supposed to know and that these things would create transformation, not just information. That you would actually use this knowledge to grow more free. That you would use this knowledge to be more happy. That you would use this knowledge to be selfless. That you would use this knowledge to live a more useful life. That you would use this knowledge to help in the time of trouble. That this knowledge is not just for your head, it's for your whole heart and it's for your whole life. So real quick, these three things, he says, hopeful, wealthy, and more powerful. I want you to understand though, the Bible uses the word hope 
uh, like a sure thing. Okay, we use the word hope like a wish. Okay, so those of you watching the Super Bowl, right? My man Steve has his jersey on. He hopes the Eagles win the game today. But he doesn't know. It's wishful thinking. It could happen, it could not. I don't think he's going to go get a tattoo yet that says Eagles Super Bowl 2023. People like that are crazy, you know? Like, why? Why would he not do that? Well, because he doesn't know. But what's the word we use? Hope. I hope my team wins the game. I hope this happens. And we think hope is wishful thinking. So then we apply that reading to the Bible and we miss the point of the word. The Bible doesn't use hope like that. The Bible doesn't talk about hope as something we wish for that we're unsure is going to happen. The Bible talks about the word hope as a guarantee. So what I hope for will come to pass as a guarantee without a doubt. So this is how I want you to think about the word hope. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a sure thing. So everything the Bible says we hope for in Christ is a sure thing, which is why I said, what you have as a sure thing in Christ is better than any of your wishful thinking coming true. So stop living according to wishful thinking, which even if you got, wouldn't be as good as the sure thing you could have in Jesus. This is what he wants to provide for you, okay? Now, this is something we know about expectation. I want you to live as a person with expectation. I want you to live as a person with hope. So expectation is the key to motivation. We know this. Expectation is the key to motivation. So my motivation in my daily life is often in connection to my expectation of what could be. And I work hard because I believe that the result could come. Or I live this way because I believe the end result is good. And so expectation is the key to motivation. And everybody knows this when you schedule a vacation. You know this. Because when you know you're leaving town on Friday, you can deal with that angry boss on Monday. You know? And that coworker that smacks his gum on Wednesday, and the person who always has something negative to say on Thursday, you want, you say, you brush that off. You say, boy, I don't even care. I'm out of here tomorrow, you know? Especially those of you who put your two weeks in, you're like, I hate this job, but I'm gone in two weeks. This is my favorite job ever. Like, you're like, I love you, my boss. I love this coworker. I love all these people. I love this place, you know? What? What has changed? Nothing has changed about your current circumstances, but everything has changed about your future. And this is what God says well, hope is. Hope is believing that that vacation is Friday. You know, like, I believe I will be on the beach by Friday. Therefore, I can live with this trouble on Monday. And this is exactly what the Bible has presented to you to say, I believe that I will be with Christ soon one day so I can deal with this trouble today. That's what real hope is. It's a sure thing. It's a guarantee. And it's not just for your mind. It's for your whole body and your whole life. It helps you live with expectation. God wants you to live with expectation, even and most applicable in the worst situations. Expectation is the key to motivation. So what is our hope? Real quick, as we close this out, what is our hope? Well, our hope is these two things, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his immeasurably great power towards us who believe. So our hope in wealth, more hopeful, more wealthy, more powerful than you ever could have imagined. His, I love how it says, his glorious inheritance, which is in the saints. So this is fun. If you read it right. So God's inheritance, and you can see this throughout the Old Testament as well, is described as God's people. So actually, his glorious inheritance is you. So you flip it for a second before you apply it the other way. It's not my inheritance in him, first and foremost. It's the reality that his inheritance is me and you. Look at that, his glorious inheritance in the saints. So as a king would value his wealth and his gold and his silver as his inheritance and the measure of his greatness, so the Lord values you 
as, your, as his inheritance and the measure of his greatness. It's not about you, but the Lord cherishes you so much. You are his inheritance. You have value, dignity, and worth because the Lord has bestowed it upon you in Christ. And he loves you and he delights in you. And you are the wealth of God. Now this should make you humble and make you thankful. It should not make you prideful. Because once again, just to affirm, it's not about you, but the Lord is including you in everything that he is. You are his inheritance and your inheritance is in him. So it goes the other way as well. So my glorious inheritance is here in the saints with you, with what God has bought for us, which is eternal life, forgiveness of sins, joy forever, pleasures forever. These are the realities from me. So this is what I get. So I want you to leave more wealthy than you ever came in, more wealthy than you ever could have imagined because of what you have in Christ. And how does this happen? How is this guaranteed for me? By the immeasurable greatness of his power. So more powerful than you ever could have imagined. And I, I want you to see this as we, as we close here. He says, the greatness of his power toward us according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Meaning the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that conquered every corner of hell. The power that overcomes every ounce of your shame. The power that forgives every one of your sins. The power that destroyed the work of the devil and his entire army. The power that overcome life and death. This power in Christ lives in you. What's the guarantee? It's the power of God. It's the, how can you, you say, look at God, how can you guarantee my happiness forever? And God can say, because my power is untouchable, unstoppable, unbreakable, unchangeable, that no one can thwart my purpose. And once I put my eyes on you, he says, no one can take you away from me. Who can guarantee the success of your future more than God? So stop putting your hope in anything else. This is the point. All other forms of hope are wishful thinking, but you have a sure thing according to the power of God at work in you. So place your feet on the rock. Place your feet on the sure thing of Jesus Christ, which the Bible says, who has authority over all things and under his feet have all things been put. You know what that means? There are no challengers ahead. There's nothing coming up that could possibly threaten his rule and authority. What guarantees your future? It's the power of God, which is untouchable, unchangeable, and unbreakable, and unstoppable. So, don't live your life with wishful thinking. And for some of you, that means today you put your faith in Christ. And for some of you, it means you begin to move into application to live according to the things that you know, to pursue him and to know him. Please, I beg of you to give your life to know the things that matter most and to wake up every day learning and pursuing the knowledge of what God knows because that'll lead you best. All right, let's pray. Let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and power that's available to us in Christ. Lord, I just pray right now what the scripture prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to give us the knowledge of Christ that we may know the hope that we have been called to. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart and that we would see you as you really are and that it wouldn't just be truth revealed, but that it would be truth applied. 
that it would change us from the inside out and that tomorrow would be a different day because of your word, Lord, today. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.